Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 490. You are ready to book a Royal Caribbean cruise, and you see a really low rate, but there are definitely a few reasons why you probably shouldn't book the cheapest cruise you can find. We're going to talk about them. Here we go. If you're looking for a great cruise deal out there, I'm with you. I love getting a bargain rate for a cruise, but you probably don't want to necessarily book the first cruise that you can find that's the cheapest, especially when you're sorting prices by lowest. In fact, it's kind of a big mistake, and it may seem illogical, but when you're looking at a cruise to book, looking purely at price to determine which ship to pick from can be a big mistake. A lot of people end up making this mistake because they're chasing the lowest possible price. I'll admit, I think this mistake happens more with new cruisers or people that have not cruised a ton sometimes you're bored at work, you're sitting there and you're like, you know what, what's the cheapest rate I can get to go out there? And you sort the prices from lowest to highest and you kind of find a great deal because there are some really cheap cruise deals out there, but that can lead to frustration later on. We're going to talk about them as to why. Now, this isn't to say, by the way, you shouldn't book the cheapest cruise fare you can find, but you should think about these things we're going to talk about in this week's episode because I think it's really important. Number one, the lowest price ignores other important choices. Royal Caribbean has a number of ships in their fleet, well over 26 now, and they're anything but identical. If you find the lowest price and book based on that, you're going to be overlooking a lot of other important factors that can really make or break a great vacation. Now, Royal Caribbean's prices tend to change based on time of year, how new or old a ship is, or if it's updated, and where the itinerary sails. Newer ships in general command higher prices, and older ships in general tend to offer lower prices. The great variety of activities, things to do, cabin choices and itineraries means there's so much that you can want on a ship that price alone cannot control. It seems like a lot of people that are new to cruising will watch a TV commercial, right? Or see a video online that shows off these amazing things you can do on a Royal Caribbean cruise, but they don't realize that not every ship has water slides, a Central Park neighborhood, certain specialty restaurants, Broadway shows, even a nursery on board. The biggest regret that I hear from, from whether it's readers on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com or podcast listeners, is people that go on their first cruise and wish they knew that the ship had or did not have a certain feature or thing to do. While how much a cruise costs is going to really be an important factor because let's face it, money makes the world go round. At the end of the day, I can tell you all about amazing cruises, but if you can't afford it, you can't afford it and you can't go on it, right? But it should not be the primary consideration. The other reason why you maybe shouldn't book the cheapest cruise you can find possibly is of course weather. Now, let's say you did your homework already and you bypassed that first mistake I talked about and you researched to find the best Royal Caribbean cruise ship for you and your family. And you feel really confident that the cheapest possible price for that cruise is the best choice, but there still could be a mistake in there. And that is because after Royal Caribbean determines its cruise pricing between each ship and the fleet, another major consideration is the time of year. And that has more to do than just when kids are in school or not. While the school calendar does impact cruise ship pricing because cruises tend to cost more when school is on vacation since more families can drive up demand for that reason, but the weather plays an important role too. Specifically, when the weather is less than ideal, prices will dip lower to make up for the weaker demand. Prices are typically lower during the fall months because of hurricane season in the Caribbean, as well as prices for Alaska cruises in May and September will be cheaper because, of course, it's a lot colder during those months and there's less demand, of course. But you may find significantly colder and or wetter weather waiting for you in Alaska during those times. There's never a guarantee that you'll be able to book any cruise and get perfect weather. Certain times of the year will always be cheaper because it rains more, it's colder, or even more susceptible to hurricanes. 
but it's very important that you recognize why a cruise on one particular week or month is cheaper than another and be okay with the trade-offs. They're not all the same. And speaking of really low prices, if there's one sailing that is definitely the outlier, like you're seeing all the other sailings costing way more and one is not, there must be a reason for it. Now, there could be a lot of reasons. It could be a last-minute deal. There's a couple of different cabins available. They want to sell them quickly. Or perhaps there's a good reason. As an example, during the 2023 transatlantic season that's about to kick off in which ships go from the Caribbean over to Europe, oftentimes there are transatlantic sailings, right? But Symphony of the Seas, which is actually going to begin her transatlantic this particular week that this episode comes out on, had a really cheap deal for a transatlantic. And a lot of people are like, wow, that's an incredible price. Until they realize there's a good reason the itinerary was, I don't want to say terrible, but not great in the sense that it was a lot of sea days and very few port days. In fact, as I recall, there was only like one port day in the Caribbean, one port day in Europe, and that's it. And you're gone. So for a lot of people, that was undesirable. There certainly could be other reasons along those lines as to why one sailing just isn't as incentivized or as attractive as some of the others that are out there. In a lot of cases, cruise lines like Royal Caribbean will look at their deployments and pretty quickly they will know, okay, this sailing is not selling so well, and they'll start making moves to ensure that it sells the best. Ideally, they want the ship to sell out, and in a perfect world, all of their cabins will be full. Exact pricing methodology remains a bit of a mystery, but in general, if one sailing or two are really not selling well, it seems Royal Caribbean starts to do something to incentivize people to book it, namely lower the price. But usually this isn't a case of just people not being able to take time off of school or work. There might be even more of a reason to it. So it's really important to figure out why is this a deal, right? Look beyond the obvious. In a lot of cases, it can be the ship. We talked about this earlier, right? A Vision class ship is probably going to cost you a lot less than an Oasis class ship. Could be time of the year. This cruise is right in the middle of September, which is the heart of hurricane season, right? That's another issue right there. Let's go back to the repositioning example for a moment because repositioning cruises in general tend to be much cheaper because it starts off in one port, ends in another, so it requires more logistics, and they can be longer sailings, especially those transatlantic and transpacific sailings. Oftentimes, they're very cheap because you got to spend a lot of time on a cruise ship, and for a lot of people doing more than seven nights, and in this case, probably more than 10 nights, is too much vacation time to take for one particular trip. And then there's the cabin choice. This is something else that a lot of people overlook when they get that last minute deal. When you spot a cheap price for a cruise, I'm willing to bet it's almost certainly for an inside cabin. Now, for a lot of people, that's not a problem per se, but there are certain itineraries, I'm looking at you, Alaska, in which having a non-inside room, a balcony, is super desirable. Panama Canal, that's another one as well. So inside rooms can oftentimes appear to be a very good price, and then you book it and realize, oh, there's a reason why no one wanted to book an inside cabin, right? I mean, there's pros and cons to inside cabins to begin with, but certain itineraries are way more desirable to have a balcony cabin. So for those reasons, that might be why you're seeing that really low price. Ultimately, what I wanted to share with all of you this week is quite simply, just don't book a cruise based on price alone. That is a mistake without a shadow of a doubt. What you want to do instead is look at the whole picture. Number one, why is this cruise cheap? Number two, what particular aspect of the ship and itinerary make it such a cheap deal? In a lot of cases, if you do that kind of math or try to reverse engineer why this is a cheap price, you can figure it out. And it's okay, by the way, if you're going on a cruise in September in the Caribbean or in May in Alaska, right? It's not the end of the world to go during these times of year. You just need to be okay with it and understand the trade-offs and pros and cons of all of that. 
All right, friends, time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you've sent me about Royal Caribbean. And we're going to answer them right here on the episode, starting off with an email from Ed Vira. I have a quick question, Matt. Do you earn Crown and Anchor points for comp cruises? I have the opportunity to redeem 4 million loyalty points on my Vegas slots, mobile games for an upcoming seven night cruise. I was wondering, am I eligible for Crown and Anchor Society points? And the answer actually is yes. As long as you're paying port fees and taxes on it, you will get points for it. So yeah, you're good to go on that one, Ed. Next email is from somebody who did not leave their name. Hi, Matt. I'm currently booked on Grandeur of the Seas for May 6th. And I picked this sailing for two reasons. First, I'll be celebrating my 55th birthday. And this is the only cruise leaving Florida or Boston because I live in New England. My family friends are from Florida. That's on my birthday. And second, being an older ship, I really couldn't pass up on the price. My question is, after I just recently made final payment, I tried going on the app to book dining and drink packages, internet, etc., But the app and the website will not let me book those things saying there's an issue and to try back later. Well, been trying for the past four days and i just read an article saying the grandeur of the seas is having propulsion issues and an itinerary change was made on a current sailing are there any issues with the website a coincidence or is there a possibility the ship will be swapped out and if so will i have to pay more considering that whatever ship replaces grandeur will most likely new be newer and would normally be more expensive good question the answer is number one i don't think your assumption is going to happen they're not going to swap out the ships but if they did yes you would not have to incur an additional fee this happened to me with wonder of the seas so last december i went on wonder but it was supposed to be harmony of the seas when i booked it, it was harmony and then royal Caribbean changed itineraries or ships i should say and we ended up getting sent over to wonder but they honored the old price so if they were to swap out a ship for grandeur for yours yes you'd be uh the old price would be honored you don't have to worry about that but it's not going to happen I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. You know, number one, when you read articles, there's a lot of just, I don't know, questionable articles out there. I'm not saying the Grandeur hasn't had issues. All ships have issues at some point. Don't read too much into it is my point there. As it relates to the website issue, I think more of this is just coming stemming from the issue that you had with booking things like the drink package and whatnot. A couple things to keep in mind. Number one, if it's not working, uh, try a different web browser. I have found in general, and this happened to me one time, I couldn't like make payment. Like I, I would I would go through, this is probably a year or two ago, but anyway, I'd go through and go to the checkout process on the website and it would, it would always decline. And I'd be like, what is wrong? I've used this credit card all the time. Turned out there was an ad blocker setting on my web browser that was causing the issue. This can happen from time to time. So number one, try a completely different web browser, try incognito mode, whatever, but I would try a web browser you don't usually use. Number two, if that doesn't work, call Royal Caribbean. You can actually book all those things in the cruise planner via the phone. So if Royal Caribbean is having issues on their website, I would call. Now, four days is unlikely that it's the website. I hate to say it, it's probably on your end. So definitely call in for that. But, you know, keep in mind, by the way, that what you can book dining and drink packages and internet. That's totally fine there, right? But on Grandeur, you're not going to be able to book the entertainment ahead of time. You only can do that on the Oasis and Quantum class ship. So just keep that in mind right there. But I think more than likely you're going to end up going on your cruise uh, on that particular, on Grandeur, on that date. I mean, when it comes to, you know, oh, someone's on a current sailing or a recent sailing and they saw a blank. I, I, I often, I mean, it, it, there's nothing wrong with reading that, obviously, but take it, with a, not take it with a grain of salt, but it's not an indicative of anything beyond that. I mean, it's very rare for a ship to be pulled out of service or for an itinerary to be swapped out that this short time. They don't have another ship to swap it out with. This isn't like the bus where like, you know, we have a whole stockyard of buses standing by. We can, we can flip them in there. It doesn't work that way. So if there really truly was an issue, they would cancel the sailing, but they're not going to do that. And having a propulsion issue doesn't mean the ship is not capable of going. Maybe it has to go a little bit slower, but it's certainly been done before and not really a major issue that you should be worried about there. So hopefully 
that answers your question. One more thing I should add, I should add actually, as I was thinking about the propulsion issue. You know, I would say probably worst case scenario, I would imagine, if there truly is a real propulsion issue that's lingering, it's not unheard of for the itinerary to change because of the slower speed. They can't get as far within the time frame of your cruise. But again, you'll get an email from Royal Caribbean if that does happen. But again, don't read too much into that until that happens, I guess. Don't, I try to tell people all the time, like, don't worry until there's actually a change. Don't imagine all the problems that you could have on your particular ship. More often than not, there's, it doesn't affect your particular sailing. And just because they go at a slower speed, potentially doesn't mean that it's actually gonna have an impact on your sailing. So thank you for the email. Next, we have an email from Patrick. Hi, Matt, hope you're doing well. I'm a quick question about check-in on the app and when check-in opens. We have two reservations linked, which are myself and my wife on one reservation, my daughter, one, our daughter and my mother-in-law on another reservation. Will I be able to check in for both reservations at the same time since they're linked or will they need to be checked in separately? Thanks for all you do and for your team, for all the information you provide. Yes, you can do the check-in uh, together. When um, when you go through the Royal Caribbean app, you can, obviously you see your reservation right now, Patrick. Um, if your reservations are linked, what you should see off the bat, when you go to the Royal Caribbean app and you go to like, you know, it shows you all your sailings, you should not only see your name, Patrick, but you should also see your daughter and mother-in-law. I remember I did this on a recent cruise in which, you know, my kids were with me, right? So we have two cabins. I would see my reservation and their reservation because they're linked there. And yes, I was able to do their check-in and all that good stuff there. So as long as the reservations are linked, and if you're wondering how do you link a reservation together, if you booked with a travel agent, your travel agent does it for you. Otherwise, if you booked on your own, which by the way, you should book with a travel agent, but nonetheless, uh, if you booked on your own, call Royal Caribbean and ask to link the reservations together. And that should do the trick for you. Next email is from Luke. Hey Matt, I just got back from a big family selling where one person told us a few weeks before the cruise that they wouldn't be able to go. We had our amazing travel agent from MEI Travel, shameless plug, <laughs> move the people around so I'd be sailing with this no-show person so I could get two points per night and a balcony room instead of one. A couple weeks later, I noticed I had only received one point per night. After talking to a couple different reps at Royal Caribbean, they both said that the sailing alone from a no-show only rewards you one point per night, and to get points, you have to be by yourself in the original booking. I know you've said this method is a great way to save money if the single supplement fee is higher than the second person, but I thought I had heard someone say in the past, you could get double points too. Do you know if there's a secret passphrase or something, or is this a known policy change? Well, I have to tell them, I watched this guy who looks like Brad Pitt on YouTube and Facebook. Kidding aside, thanks for all your help, podcast, blog, Facebook posts, and YouTube videos are a huge help and lots of fun. Keep up the great work. The, you know, this has changed a lot, Luke, and thanks for the email. You know, once upon a time, and I mean, once upon a time, I mean, for a long time, you would get double points. It happened to me. I can I can look down my uh, list of sailings and seen plenty of instances in which my wife was booked on the cruise. She did not show up to the cruise, and I knew that ahead of time, and I still got double points. And then after COVID, Luke, something changed, and initially, I was still getting the double points, and then I didn't, and then I did, and then I didn't, and it seems like more recently, they've really finally stopped offering the double points on the no-show person, which to me seems strange because you're paying for that second person. It's not like your your cruise fare changed. You're still paying for a second one. It, it seemed logical that that would be the case in that scenario, but, and you're not staying in a studio cabin, obviously. But Royal Caribbean seems to have either figured it out. I mean, I would argue, you know, they, they I've, I've talked to loyalty ambassadors about this before. I remember going on I think it was Odyssey, and I and I had the same situation, Luke. I had a cruise in which I sailed solo, didn't get double points, and I went to Loyalty Ambassador, and the Loyalty Ambassador was like, oh, that's not our policy. I was like, listen, it absolutely was or is your policy because I can show you 
look up my sailings. And she did. And I said, listen, look, you can see that right there. There was a no-show and I got double points. And then she was kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of strange. So this could have been, quite frankly, all along Royal Caribbean's policy, but all along Royal Caribbean never actually applied the policy or enforced it, however you want to look at it. It's very commonplace with Royal Caribbean. So all that being said, um, I, I know Royal Caribbean's website says that the book cruise fare for the remaining guests within the reservation window, the same, no single supplement applied. Um, they re- they, therefore, the remaining guests receive Crown and Anchor Society points based on the initial occupancy booked within their reservation. I guess I will, I will do that. Going forward, Luke, and for anybody listening, if you're booking yourself in a room with a fake second person or a second person you know is not going, you should be aware and prepared for not getting double points. Could it still occur? Yes, but you can't bet on it. And it's not like it used to be again, pre-COVID in which that was always the case. Again, it, we'll never know what was supposed to be the original policy. I can only tell you in practice for a very long time, that was definitely the case. So thank you for the question. Next email is from James Woodward from Steven, Stephenville, Texas. Matt, after three canceled cruises over the last three years, we're finally scheduled to visit Perfect Day at Coco Key in March. With a few questions for an even better visit. Number one, does the Voom Serpent Street for Surf and Stream work from the ship on the island? The answer is yes. Number two, can I use my four complimentary drink vouchers for being diamond level on the island? The answer is yes. What are your two or three I gotta have this complimentary food items on the island? Ooh. The mozzarella sticks from Snack Shack. The secret sandwich from Snack Shack. Just ask for secret sandwich. They'll know what you're talking about. And the at at Skipper's Grill or Chill Grill, they have a taco bar. So you can it's, it's make your own tacos. I actually prefer to go like full Chipotle mode and make my own taco bowl. Those are my three favorite things right there. Thanks so much for everything you do to help make all of us educated cruisers. You are very welcome, James. Thank you for listening and thank you for the email. And our final question this week comes to us from Michael from Ontario, Canada. We're grateful and faithful listeners for your wonderful podcast. We've taken a number of Royal Caribbean cruises over the past many years. We just come back off Symphony of the Seas out of Miami, and I have a question. Is it time for Royal Caribbean to give up on formal dining? I carefully packed my suit to wear on formal night, and my wife a formal dress, and we got to the main dining room. We were the only people dressed up in our section. We felt overdressed. The same applied to the wear your best night. It was the only, it was the early dining time, so that may have been that there were more formal wares at the later seating. We really felt that we wouldn't bother dressing up for another time. It's a shame. What are your thoughts? Also, we're taking a repositioning cruise for the first time on Odyssey of the Season 2024. Do you have any tips or thoughts on how these differ from regular cruises? I couldn't see a podcast dedicated to this. Many thanks for all you do to assist us in getting the most out of our cruise holidays. Michael, thanks for the email. Boy, how much time we got to talk about the dress code? Because I could spend the next 30 minutes talking about this because there's no right or wrong answer here. There's no doubt, Michael, that in general, and again, I'm making a generalization here, but society going on cruise, people going on cruises these days, there is less interest, I I believe, among most people to dress up than there was 10, 20, 40 years ago. There's no doubt that the idea, the notion of dressing up for your cruise is rooted in the origins of cruising. Heck, it even goes back to the ocean liner days. And it's just a carryover. It's a tradition that came over from all those time. I remember, I'm always reminded of the scene from Fiddler on the Roof, in the very beginning of the movie, or the musical for that matter, uh, when uh, the main character is, you know, explaining that, you know, we have all these traditions here in Judaism, and this is the, you know, we've, we've had them for generations, generations. You might be wondering why we do these things. And he says, <laughs> pauses and goes, nobody knows. 
<laughs> but this is kind of like that similar ilk in which these traditions we have with cruising and getting dressed up comes from, I don't say eons ago, but certainly from a long time ago. But that has changed over the years. And I've only been cruising, you know, since the late 90s. So I'm not like someone who's been who cruised in the 70s or 80s by any means. But I'm willing to bet that a lot of people have, will, that have cruised that long will still tell you that it has evolved. That people in the 80s dressed up less than people in the 70s, the 90s less than the 80s, and so forth and so on. So all that being said, the thing I have with the, with the dress code, I've always said this about the dress code, is that I don't mind there's a dress code. I actually like the idea of dressing up. Uh, I don't get dressed up otherwise in my regular day life. I, I don't have a, I never had like, I wasn't like a business job where I wear suits to work every day. So maybe that's part of it. But in my life, I only ever get dressed up if I'm going to a wedding or a funeral. So it's kind of nice to have an opportunity to get dressed up and it not be about somebody else. And it's just nice to have, you know, family photos together. And it's it, like our best family photos are definitely from formal nights on a cruise ship where, you know, my, my children are wearing, you know, beautiful dresses and my wife is wearing a dress. I'm wearing a suit. I, I think it just looks nicer. Right. But I get it. It's tough, man. When you're on vacation, I really got to put on the suit, do a tie and, you know, put on those pants that are a little constricting. You know, it, I get it. It's so much easier not to do that stuff. So there's that aspect of it, too. And I think that Royal Caribbean's approach to the dress codes has simply been uh, que sera, sera. There is a dress code policy. Short of you wearing a bikini into the dining room, they're probably not going to say anything about it. I mean, I I've seen the dress code enforced very, very, very rarely when it comes to actually enforcing it. So, you know, can you wear shorts? Should you wear a suit? I'm going to tell you guys, honestly, nobody cares. They Royal Caribbean will not care that you do that. So whether you want to or should you, that's a whole nother discussion, but there's that. And so what Michael was saying, you know, should they just give up on this? And I think their current approach, well, I don't love it. I would prefer that if they have a dress code, they say, listen, here's our dress code. On Formula Night, you got to wear this and this, and you can't wear this or that. I'd be okay with that. And I wish they would just enforce it. Otherwise, I just wish they would just simply say, dress whatever you want to do, you know, but here's the absolute no's that you can't. Like, you can't show up in a bikini as an example. But, um... It's just one of those things. Now, I also point out, and you kind of alluded to this idea, and I think you're right on this. You know, generally among traditional dining, usually you get more people, and not a lot. It's not like it's 100% or even 80%, but I think in general, you'll find more people dressing up for the second formal seating, the late one than the early one. Why? Because the early one tends to have more families and kids, and for some reason that, you know, a little more casual. I think that may be more of a generalization than anything else, and depending on your sailing, you know, you're on a seven-night cruise. I mean, a three-night cruise, forget about it. You're lucky people wear collared shirts like polos. You know, it's just it's more of a party vibe. But for seven-night sailings, you certainly get, you know, I think the memo's out there. But again, there's just this idea that I'm on vacation. Why should I dress up? I would argue that. And again, I'm, I don't have a strong opinion whether or not on either side. I would just simply say that if, you, if your thought is I'm on vacation, why should I get dressed up? And the answer is because that's what it says the rules are and you're supposed to adhere to them, right? And there's other options you can go to like the Windjammer or somewhere else to eat. But I'm not saying that they should be a dress code or not. I'm just simply saying that I like to go for that. And at the end of the day, if I'm the only one dressed up, that's fine. I don't care. Then we're not, you know, showing up to the pool in a tuxedo by any means. But I, you know, I what other people wear doesn't have a material impact on my dining experience, right? Um, if someone's flagrantly breaking the rules, that's a different issue. But, you know, someone's wearing a pair of shorts or... They're wearing jeans and, you know, a, a, a Van Halen concert t-shirt, whatever. Like, it doesn't really impact my meal. Stop looking at them, look at my family, and that's it. And that's kind of how I come around to it, Michael. I've changed my tune about this a little bit, but 
it's one of those things where ultimately I still like doing it. And so I will do that. And there are certain days, by the way, we go to the dining room, usually on days in which we've had a long day, like in port. I might feel like, all right, I'm just putting on a pair of jeans and a polo because I'm tired and that's all I can go for the, right now. And that's fine, right? And other times, yeah, we get the whole, you know, the suit and the tie and the semi-constricting pants. And you know what? I get used to it and I like it. And then I actually end up wearing it longer because some people will change out of their dinner outfits almost immediately after dinner. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I took all this time to get dressed, right? I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. I'm not going to wear it for 90 minutes and then be out. I mean, yeah, I'd be more comfortable if I was back in shorts, but I took the time to wear this thing. I'm going to get my money's worth out of it. Anyway, that's that's my thoughts. Maybe I'll wear it. Michael, thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. You can always email me your questions by sending them to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.